0: Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. Ten, nine, five, three, cut down. Wonderful try. We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just busts through the defence. Just watch this. Splendid, beautifully. In go the ice for us, this is Leonard.
1: Good evening and welcome back to the mallcast. Good evening. Good evening. We're gonna start where we usually do, uh discussing hot rumours. Uh it seems that it seems that Stuart Lancaster looks like he's gonna be on the way out of Leinster at the end of the season. Uh prior to pressing record button, you described this as a pretty much a disaster for Leinster. Do yeah. you care to do you care to expand on that?
2: I I <laughs> I don't want to believe it's true. I could, I can see it happening. Lancaster is out of contract at the end of this season. He's spoken before that he's uh, it would take a it would take something special to move him on from Leinster. Uh, he's enjoyed his time here. He enjoys the pitch time and working with young players and the cohesion that Leinster has. But he's also spoken uh, about how sometimes you know that you need to freshen things up. Now that's from the Leinster point of view. But also from his own point of view, he might have. Um, there might be a huge financial incentive from racing. Who I have? Um, Jackie Lorenzetti is worth so much money. I, I read somewhere, relatively recently, that his company is, is the biggest player in Western European real estate. Lorenzetti has something like four billion at his disposal, which makes him easily. The wealthiest of anybody involved with uh, with rugby, Herman Peter Villed, the fellow who owns Stade Français, is another incredibly wealthy guy. He's a billionaire as well. Steve Lansdowne, who owns Bristol, is a billionaire. So, if it if it's if it's just this huge life altering salary that that's on offer, like that's uh, that could be something which Leinster can't compete financially with, and then you're asking a person to. It's it's almost almost take a pay cut when you know what's on offer and that the money the the readies are there that it's not a worster type of offer you know um, I'd be I'd be really sorry to see him go I think he's done a phenomenal job at Leinster absolutely exceptional coach um, and I think he I really like him as a person uh, his availability how well he speaks. Practically, there's there's very little I would change about Stuart Lancaster uh, as a person or a coach. I think he's an outstanding individual.
0: I I fully expect him to go, and I kind of think it's time. Um, at the same stage, like where to stay for another two years with Leinster, you'd I'd, I'd welcome that as. But I remember when he signed for Leinster that I thought it was an absolutely great move. Like I thought that he was. I kind of thought Leo was pretty much out of his depth uh, as a coach and that Stuart Lancaster was an extremely good coach. Like he'd done level, I think he'd done level five. He'd done like whatever the top level is that very, very few people do, mm. that he was very committed to it, that he coached at international level, that he'd, he had a huge amount of hunger, that he he had a huge amount of proof um, and... Like he was, he was available because the World Cup, the English World Cup, was was such a disaster for him. Um, and he he wasn't roundly welcomed, I guess. Not that there was hostility towards him; there, there was just a lot of uh, belief that he was quite poor as a, as a coach. And I, I I thought it was a brilliant appointment. Mm. Um, and then it's it's just it's played out really well. I was really been really impressed with how Leo reinvented his own role and managed to step back and how much um, sort of autonomy he was prepared to give to, to Stuart Lancaster and I mean Stuart Lancaster completely rehabilitated and then enhanced his reputation and I think he's left Leinster on a very strong footing and I'd have confidence in Leinster that they're aid that they'd be able to appoint somebody else um, in his stead, you know. So I was curious about Goodman being appointed. Um, like Brad Moore is an interesting guy because he was he was coaching up here with the Scarlet, so he's been prepared to move. He was good enough to coach the All Blacks and then he got... Um, <clears throat> he wasn't associated with a good All Black period. But I mean, again, he, he's a guy who's young, who's probably looking to rehabilitate his career. And there's there's doubtless others out there um, Bruce Deans Wayne Smith Wayne, I was going to say Wayne <laughs> Smith Nick Mallet um, so look I, I kind of think it's time and, and hopefully it's a great deal for Lancaster that he's you know he's moving over and moving up in Paris an incredible city and he's hopefully he just gets a lot of money and he's you know coaching a team that are um, mm. you have a lot of cash but like you know he might be back as well it, yeah. it's sort of uh, like I, I, don't know. I mean, it's. I think it's. A, I think it's a very good move for him. I presume it's far more money. Oh, and, I'd, say, um, I'd say the money's amazing. And I think his, but I think like I think his professionally, <laughs> I go back to it. His his profile, his reputation has only been enhanced by his time at Leinster.
2: Oh, one thousand percent. He was undervalued when Leinster picked him up, judged on all like not on all the wrong metrics, but on a lot of wrong metrics. It was a classic case of uh, they judged on the World Cup and you're going, England were a basket case when he took them over. He built a massive, really strong team culture. At the the stage when he came in, he got rid of a load of players and picked ordinary players with good attitudes. Do you remember he was picking Phil Dowson, the Northampton Saints 6'7"? you and like you're going, he's basically not an international level player more it's both but he's there going these were good workers that he picked in the team charge down Charlie Hodgson and he basically built that team around he, rehabilitating england as a bunch of hard working and getting rid of the
0: he got rid of the end of the 2003 yeah mob uh, not not mob like not not the, the core or the 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 veterans probably is the best way to describe them because they like those guys had won the world cup but, yeah. but it was so difficult for england to move beyond um, that personnel and you know and but, all the
2: best players had gone and so, and so you were yeah. dealing with Tyndall, uh, and Lewis Moody um,
0: but they were still getting picked like, yeah. they were still getting picked by Johnson up to the 2011 up to and including the mm-hmm. 2011 world cup so he had a very difficult job to do i mean i suppose the, you could always point to the fact that he finished second all the time um and even with leinster they were beaten in in you know Heineken cup finals D- did they did leinster win enough i thought it was a wonderful marriage between himself and leinster and You know where to come to end at the end. You know at the at the the culmination of this season. I think it's I think it's kind of time. Like I don't think it's I I don't think he's let anybody down. You know. No, I
2: certainly
1: don't think he's let anybody down. But I have to say, I would much prefer that he stayed. But in the debit column, you have Matt O'Connor. But in the credit column, when Argentina were playing New Zealand, there was three ex-Leinster coaches in the in the coaching boxes. You had Cheka... And uh, Contepomi on one side, and you had Joe Schmidt uh, as the assistant on the other side. Would you not think that Leinster have <clears throat> a, a good reputation for picking up um, up and coming coaches who are, are you know you know already somewhat established, but they they give them an opportunity to take, to move on to a bigger level? Like Czech had coached Parma. Joe was an assistant coach with the perennial. Bridesmaids, bridesmaids in uh, in Claremont, but he was also he was very much the assistant coach behind Vern Cotter, who was a bigger name than him, and Contopomi, who I think is widely uh, regarded as having done a good job. Definitely, he he didn't have a huge amount of pedigree behind him either, other than his like playing career. Yeah,
2: he was like a couple, one or two seasons with the Argentine Super Rugby team. What
0: oh, is? It's a curious one because. I don't know how much influence Leo has like the, the impression that I got from Lancaster's appointment was basically Leo rang him up and said do you want to come and Mick okayed it and then Nusifor was like oh yeah we're all right with this but like it, it was Leo's decision <laughs> so basically Leo did everything mm-hmm. Um and the reason I'm Saying it now is that, like, so Shane Nolan from Google has been appointed as the Leinster CEO. So you go, well, like, how much, how much input does the CEO have in selecting, like, a senior coach? And you go, well, he must have a lot. Um, but, like, like, Shane Nolan, this is his first season doing it. And, like, maybe in Google, he like, maybe in the tech world, he's, he's big news, but, like, nobody in rugby knows who he is. So, like, he doesn't have any network. He doesn't have any connections. And it's like, you know, when... Moyes took over Man United and then Woodward took and like they, they were just saying like they'd no they no connections with agents anymore. Like they didn't know anybody to mm. to pick up the phone and go, Can you get me this guy? Can you get me this guy? Like what's what's the news? And like rugby's obviously much smaller, but um I think it'll be up to Leo. Like Leo got Conte Pomi. Uh, Graham Henry. Leo got in Graham Henry, Leo's brought back Goodman, who's coming from the Crusaders and Shawnee uh, between Leo and between Leo and Lancaster, they built up that relationship with the Crusaders. So, I'd assume it'll be pretty much ninety-eight percent Leo with Shane Nolan signing off and signing the checks, yeah. And uh, that's the way it'll work. And you know, you'd you'd have to back Leo to go out and find, you know, the right guy, really. Yeah. So keeping
1: it close to home and talking about the first round of the urc um leinster had a very narrow win and you weren't particularly impressed with some of the kind of rookies coming through and um how do you think i mean do you think there's anything larger you can take out of a stuttering first day of the league performance away at zebra
2: yeah there's certainly just something you can take from every match um in that game, Leinster got off to a good start. Their pack was strong throughout. Almost to a man, I would say, that the the forwards performed particularly good. Rhys Ruddock, obviously, in the first half with two tries. Jason Jenkins on his debut for the province uh, did exactly what Leinster would want him to do uh, in terms of his scrummaging, the strength of the scrum moving up on the right-hand side consistently. Great clear-outs, to try in his debut. Moved well. He's really big dude. He's just bi- built on a bigger scale than all the other forwards. Um, he went particularly well. Scott Penny had a quiet day. Michael Al- Alatoa had a quiet day. But the other six starters did it really well. The, I, I thought it was the most toothless backline display I can recall seeing from a Leinster side under Lancaster. Uh, like under under Mal O'Connor, that was a like par for the course. So... The team had uh, Luke McGrath and Ross Byrne, who are well used to each other. Then a new first centre in Charlie Natai making his debut for the province. Jamie Osborne, the 20-year-old, at 13. Now, he played a lot of games at 13 last year. On the right wing, Rob Russell, and then a fullback, Max O'Reilly. I thought Rob Russell and Max O'Reilly were both poor players. We've all, you've often asked the question, rhetorically or not, about when is it okay to uh, criticise young players? And now it's okay. Now that I, now that I, now that I, just, I saw those, those two players, the the league has changed a lot. There's 18 games. None of the games will run at the same time as 18 regular season games. So it's much more like the league was in 2007 through to 2010. Uh, The the games don't run in tandem with the international, don't clash with the international games at any stage of the season. So the game that happens in uh, November is after the internationals. The two games that happen in February and March are the rest weekends of the Six Nations. There's fewer games. uh, In in 2016-17, there were 22 regular season games. 2017-18, 21 regular season games. There's 18 now. So you're down like four games from the max, three games from what we've been used to. There's less time to experiment. Games are more meaningful and you really unless you've got injuries there's less and less reason to be playing third choice players in games uh, in this Leinster are shy at winger um, Tommy O'Brien has a serious knee injury um, we've got Lowe who's injured Larma who's back for the weekend's game against Treviso Dave Kearney uh, and, and that's it you know four senior wingers on the books
0: Andrew Smith is he still the academy, academy,
2: Yeah. yeah. Um in the academy, yeah. And Russell's in the academy, Max O'Reilly's in mm. the academy. Max had an absolute nightmare of a game. It's his first game of the season and it was dreadful. And you're going, why would we pick this guy again? That sounds harsh, but like, why would you? You know, this is pro rugby, you're judged by a professional standard. And he, he did very few things right. Um, he's played better in the past, but the nature of this game is like, that's... That's like one game. they like 17 more games to go. Hugo Keenan's our first choice. Jimmy O'Brien is our second choice. If you split the games, if, if, if Hugo Keenan only plays seven games in the league, that's only 10 games for Jimmy O'Brien. You know, how many, like, uh, how many games get you up to 800 minutes? You know, 10 games at full, at full back gets you 800 minutes. Like, that's a reasonable return on investment for your salary.
0: How many? How many players? How many overseas players can? Is it three or four? There's no. There's no. There's like, no formal there's limit. There's no is there?
2: formal limit. You know, uh, Tommy O'Brien. We should look to. We should look to get a, a medical joker in. A medical joker could be sourced from a country like Fiji.
0: <laughs> well, that, that's why I was asking because you know yeah. you've got Natai um, Jenkins, Alalatoa. Yeah. Um, as the three overseas guys. And you're looking at wingers, and you're just thinking, Jesus, like you just get somebody in from Fiji to play in the wing. Yeah, we we were having the conversation because you were watching the guys play in France, and I was saying like that guy he plays for Cast, whose name like I, I haven't a clue what his name is, and I'd never heard of the guy before. I was watching him play a few matches last season. They get this guy is absolutely brilliant. And yeah, I, I don't maybe he's a starting winger for the Fijian national team, but like maybe he ain't. Maybe he's like number six, and like he rarely gets capped, but. He's absolutely brilliant. And he's not the only one. Like There just seems to be an absolute conveyor belt of incredibly good wingers coming out of Fiji. To incredible. the extent where you just go, why wouldn't you pick a Fijian yeah. winger who's going to play 20 games a season for you and score like 19 or 20 tries?
2: Yeah, we're behind the curve. And this. just the French team. Like I was over in France and I saw two games over there. I saw Biritz's first home game against Mons de Marsan and periods were dreadful, but they had a Fijian flanker playing second row for them, Johnny Dyer, best player in the pitch by mile. And then the following day, I went to see uh, Bayonne play against uh, Racing in the Jean d'Augé, which was an amazing game. And Bayonne's two best players were their two centers, two Fijians, neither of whom is, neither of whom is in the current Fijian squad. And it just struck me, um, from watching both of those games, you're going, Jesus, like, including including New Zealanders the Fijians are the best rugby players in the world you see, when you can follow individual players um you're not constrained by what the cameras are showing you You're going god these guys are just they do everything so well um you know they do things unexpectedly but which makes sense and they're they they're like I often said this to you before, you know, Ronaldo Phenomeno used to kick the ball when it almost looked clumsy before the defence were ready. He'd kick the ball from under him all the time. Like, he had no, much less of a backswing. Mm-hmm. You know, these Fijian guys, they don't do the classic fall away pass, like a, a Brenny Mullen centre three-quarter pass. They do these sort of funky looking passes, which like just like, oh, sometimes it just looks like, oh, you've just thrown that with your off hand. You're going, well, it still hit the man perfectly in stride. Uh, and then their ability to to change direction or to like lean into a player just as just as that guy is. Like they'll show something and then just lean into him. And the guy's already falling the wrong way. And it's like, now he's just got bumped. It was really amazing. I was, I was sort of blown away by the, the the ability that they show so frequently, and then obviously the uh the sort of the aggression that's demanded in rugby is clearly there, and but there's a lot of the sort of grace as well to it. So you know you're short on where we've we've got a Tommy Bryan's going to be a super super player once he can get injury free, and he's been dreadfully unlucky with injuries. But like he's not available for us for another six months, so get in a get in an injury joker.
0: Yeah, the guy's name is Felipe Nakosi, and he's thirty, and he's got three caps. So he pretty much isn't that hierarchy yeah. of Fijian wingers that you think, but like, he's brilliant. Yeah.
2: Um. So with 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 Rob Russell, it's like the game has passed you by. This is a good chance to make to make a statement, and you know, it's too too meek. Uh, you like it's it's the pro game. You have to, like it's a game of like rugby's a violent game, and you have to be. Able to meet force with force and take your game to the other team, and it was, it's interesting to see Dave Kearney being able to like throw himself into into contacts straight out of injuries, and you know if somebody's pushing him over the touchline, he's fighting back against it, um, and it's like the learning curve is just during during the older iterations of the uh, the league when there was games that were played, you know, might be on a on a Friday or a Sunday. Before or after a Six Nations game, you'd be fielding, you'd be playing against a Benetton team, which had like again fifteen internationals away, and you'd be playing essentially A teams against each other. Like that was good for a lot of, you know, for Irish rugby in a lot of ways, and that it got more and more players involved in bigger games than they otherwise would have played it. But that's not what the league is anymore.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's really the point. Rather than the two guys that you named, that there's. Anything particular with those is just and I think Cullen was pretty very cognizant of the fact that he goes, right, like I'll play them against Ebre, I'll play them early in the season. This is a match we should win, and did win and got a mm-hmm. bonus point. Um but but whether they realise it or not, like this is your this is your shot. Yeah. Um and like as it happened last season, should have been like that as well, except with COVID um matches yeah, were played really, really. during the international window and then Leinster had tied up their home qualification with you know with two points required so they sent down really young guys to play against South Africa but again like last season was you could say a transition but more and more like it was just a, an anomaly an anomaly um totally like it, I totally agree with you like there's just like you're gonna see far more guys playing now for the provinces who are experienced all the way through, and the guys that make the breakthrough are. It's gonna be harder for guys to make the breakthrough. Much more so. Much.
1: It was genuinely it felt like around this time last year they were like, "Oh yeah, there's gonna be like uh, four South African teams in this tournament." By the way, <laughs> like it starts two weeks. <laughs> um, that that's something I I guess. It's a more, um, <clears throat> the more week to week effect of the South African teams being introduced. Essentially, at the end of last season, some commentators made the, or made an argument that the trophy was worth more now that Leinster had lost it. Um, not in so many words, obviously you wouldn't say that, but the argument was basically that if Leinster can lose it, it's not easy peasy for Leinster to win it like it has been for the last five years in a row, then it must be a good tournament. Mm-hmm. And a, <clears throat> rather than accepting that it always has been a good tournament with some flaws, but like the premiership has some flaws as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's, um, the, the notion of the it transforming and there being less games and of course, the that, that, fa- that point you made about Leinster being able to send down this kind of like, Rookie team down to South Africa, and everyone really enjoyed the effort they put in, and they got the points that they needed, losing bonus points. But it'd be more, it, it, you know, again, it would make it m- much more interesting if teams have to go down there and crunch situations and win and lose, uh, you know, seeding positions. Based and a
2: game on, on its own merits, yeah. yeah. And as you said there, you know, the, there's another interesting factor which came up in the Munster Cardiff game is that the. Um, you mentioned the Premiership. The Premiership is a very diminished league and has fall, I would not say falling apart, but the edges are falling off at the moment. And as you see that Wales and the, some of the Welsh teams have benefited from that. Because like Munster had to play against Toby Valetay and 14 other lads from Cardiff. Fal- Talupe Valetay. Valetay was amazing in that game. But that was a strong Cardiff team with um, who, what's the name of Josh, the, the winger? Josh Adams. That Cardiff team was well coached, but mostly it had just more talent in it. It was a much more talented team. Now, one of the guys was a new guy. Uh, Cluellens son is a 6'5 centre. Played extremely well. Uh, a Jamie Roberts Mark II. Um, but that's the sort of standard of team that people from Cardiff will go and see. The Cardiff has a great little stadium in the, in the Lee of the Millennium Stadium with the Cardiff's artificial Park. pitch.
0: Yeah. It's Cardiff Arms Park, like it's it's you know even even when it was Cardiff Arms Park, the big stadium was actually the National Stadium. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, and that that stadium that abuts it is is still and always was Cardiff Arms Park.
2: Yeah, it's a great stadium. I love that stadium.
0: And they get they get really good noisy crowds. Yeah,
2: calling the ref cheat all the time. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, Those Welsh teams uh, certainly felt like they hit a low ebb uh, last year as well. Like they couldn't. they, oh, they would they, they, crap. Fa- they'd found their bottom, you know. Yeah. So and there's something I said to you after. The results uh, The Leinster result Zebra um, are typically The bottom of the league
2: Zebra like, were good against Leinster Second And they and were half. much
1: better And I said to you, does it, do you Do you think Another difference is that uh, Maybe the other teams Feel more buoyed That they can beat Ireland Or that maybe their resources Are less stretched um, You know Because they don't have 55 man squads Like Leinster and Munster Are able to call upon Uh, Do you think they, you know, they probably think they can give this league a better go than they have previously? If you've got two teams, Italy have two teams, Scotland of two teams, especially the
2: Italian players. You know, if you're drawing the national team from two teams uh, and the way that the league previously was, where you're missing players throughout November and then February, March, those, your team is drastically weakened. There's not enough good players in Italy to go around. So... Missing the international weekends is, is huge for the Italian teams. The Scottish teams have, the nature of this, uh, Scotland have lost a lot of players to England and to France somewhat. You know, I look at the really good Glasgow team uh, that won the championship in 2016. You know, they had Hogg, they had Finn Russell, they had uh, Johnny Gray. So two of those an extra, one those are racing now. Like those are their big name. They're the biggest name players. Whether they're Scotland's best players or not, they probably they're three of the top five. Like that Glasgow team fell apart because they lost those players.
0: Yeah, I I look at it a little bit differently. That the the Italians, there's, I'd say, there's more money in the the Italian domestic game than there is in the Scottish domestic game. And like the Italians have a good ten team league underneath the two pros, but they've just never managed to make the two pro teams stick. Um, How many like, rainbow cups have you won? <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely, and look, you know, Treviso, Treviso were good in the amateur era, like mm-hmm. when, when David Campesi and Michael Owen went over to play for them. Um, and I'm laughing about that, and and obviously like it's Benetton Treviso, so like there's there's an enormous brand associated, and there's a real tradition there, and like they've started calling a like Parma zebra, and again, like we've sort of asked this, like, you know, why isn't one of the teams in Milan where there's just more people to go and watch it? Um, but even Parma is like a big place I and mean, mm. it's uh, agricultural. So if they, if they can make it stick there, but the Italian under twenties, um, cause we talked about Steve Aboud's impact, like there's more good players coming through Italian rugby in the last five years than there has been at any stage since the 1990s. And it should be very beneficial again, like zebra have a lot of South africans as well mm-hmm. but like it should be good for uh for italian rugby mm-hmm. and Leinster still won but i i i i I'm just curious what the impact is gonna be on the number of opportunities that young guys get to play matches and and where they end up playing because there's there's obviously like a demand to be a professional rugby player but like you look in England and you go like how are they going to support it like how, how many teams because because Worcester's I mean like Worcester's a real issue um,
1: well before we get on to that there's going to be opportunities for young Irish players to play against uh, a load of hilariously named uh, substandards at African franchises when they go on tour this September in like a week's time or October Uh, No, first
2: game is 30th of September. Yep.
1: So uh, that's something that's going to, again, stress the resources of the provinces. They're probably actually going to play more international players as a result of this. And, I mean, there has been some discussion about about how, you know, they're taking away players from these uh, teams. And I think the URC, uh, Magnus League bashers like to be like, oh, you know, they're diminishing the tournament. But... What I think is really going to happen is they're going to play more first team players. Uh, what do you think about this tour? Yeah, uh, and and the squad that's been selected for it. But firstly, the whole nature of this tour, playing th- three Curry Cup teams.
2: Well, let's let's give we we've talked about this a little bit before. So we'll, we've two different points of view. I thought when the tour was announced that it would be a vehicle for allowing the guys who either dropped out of the first tour through injury or missed it through injury. Uh, to go on tour, experience what the guys who went to tour in New Zealand, experience a light version of that, but to travel, to be coached by the Irish team, and this would be geared around uh, the likes of Ronan Kelleher, Hendo, Hume, Harry Byrne, um, Stockdale, Balakoon, guys who missed out on going on that tour that would have been very much in the mix for being selected. Uh, and then the guys who played a little bit on that tour, such as Baird, uh McCarthy, and then a couple of guys who were really outstanding under twenties over the last three years. So maybe like Big Tom, Crowley, Kendlin, uh Joe McCarthy, Osborne, um Tom Stewart. Tom Stewart. But you know, so that that would have been like these are the guys who are going, you're trying. We had 30, uh, 40 players went on tour. Is that correct? To New
0: Zealand? Yeah, 42, I think wasn't it was. But anyway, yeah. Yeah.
2: And, you know, you, you, so you're trying to cut down, and we end up using 42. So you're trying to cut that nine players out of that torn group to get to a 33 man Rugby World Cup squad. And I'm saying you add in those guys who have mentioned before, Conway, I should have mentioned, who missed that tour through injury. Like that's 10. And you build the other guys around the other fringe players. So I thought like, this is going to be about getting all those players on something close to a same page, allowing the guys who couldn't perform like Hume, Harry Byrne, etc., the chance to go out and tour with, with their other contemporaries and finding like Marty Moore would go out. So you're finding your fourth choice tight head in case you get one injury. And, you're, and that's what I thought it was going to be like. And then, because it was, it was quickly announced and I thought, okay, this, I can see mm-hmm. you know, this is weird that it's happening outside the international window, but this is what they're trying to do. And then instead they said, oh, we're just going to pick a load of lads who are on the 20s in the last three years. And I was thinking like, well, none of these guys are going to go to the World Cup or maybe yeah. three of them will. So yeah, you- So that was, that was why yeah. I thought like, this is silly, but you had a different point of view.
0: Yeah, so i I thought the tour, I thought it was completely random, and then I was there going, "Oh, brilliantly!" Like, There'd be a midweek match. <laughs> like uh, I don't know how they're going to broadcast it, but I presume it's going to be streamed somewhere. And I I kind of like the 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 randomness of it. Really, just that it got, it got announced at short notice. Um, I'm curious with Kevin Potts going in as CEO, like what impact that has, like as as a rugby guy. I thought that Andy Farrell, having come back from New Zealand with a series victory, it meant that he had a huge amount of capital that he could play with. And if he wanted this to happen, he could actually get away with it because, you know, he's he's riding on an absolute crest of a wave. So I, I didn't really have that many thoughts about who he'd pick. But when I saw it, I was struck by the fact that as opposed to Joe Schmidt, like Joe's a guy who'd pick his bench and have every single eventuality covered. Like he'd, he'd even have, like he'd make sure he'd have a place kicker on his bench, maybe two. Um, or he'd, he'd certainly have two place kickers start and then he'd have like a guy who could play second center and winger if he had a full back, you know, if he had a full back out half on the bench, all this sort of stuff. Farrell doesn't do that. Like Farrell goes out and like picks the guys who give him the most pop He's much more uh, of a risk taker than Joe, who is who is much more risk averse, and he's also a guy who played professional rugby mm-hmm. from the age of sixteen. Like he was kind of like, hey, look if you're if you're good enough and you're given the chance, you'll you'll take it." Like mm. this this is the way it works. Like, and I just thought, geez, like he's he's looking for stars. He's looking for like you were saying, three guys. If three guys make it from this touring party into yeah. the thirty, in, how many players go? thirty three to the World Cup? Thirty three, and there's thirty five, and this like tour. we we brought forty. To- <laughs> To New Zealand, and mean, mm. brought guys. Like some guys missed out. So, like, if three guys make it, that that's an incredible number. Like, I think if two guys make it, it the tour will have been successful. And you, like, you don't know what positions they're going to be in because they might be in. The, well, I'll give you it, two. It sort of depends. It sort of depends. Like, where Ireland have injuries heading into the World Cup, and it it depends just which guys just have a breakthrough season and and show a huge amount of pop. But I I I thought it was a real uh like it was a risk taker's tour and mm. he's he's looking for guys that can shine. He's not looking for midweek captains on this tour. Mm. And it, he's not the sort of coach who looks for midweek captains anyway. So you think he's casting a net as wide as possible for Bolters? Yeah.
1: Right, okay.
2: Yeah, it's like the difference between batting average and like slogan percentage. Like he's looking for like yeah. Joe Schmidt's batting average, you know, get hit on the ball, get a base hit, get to first base. And then Andy Farrell is like, I'm going to load up on this. If this pitch is like anywhere near the plate, I'm going to hit it over the, into the seat.
0: Yeah. And like, this is, I know that the money ball was, was a fairly short. Um, sample size but they talked about how good the A's were in the regular season yeah and then how much they fell away in yeah. the playoffs my
2: shit doesn't work in the playoffs as Billy Bean is quoted did he say that yeah
0: yeah. and you see now the really good guys from the A's were picked to go to the Yankees and they did work in the playoffs mm. but like he didn't have nine of those guys you know he yeah. just he, just, that, he was why able also, to
1: identify that's them. why reporting the expected goals of a football match afterwards a single football match is fucking irrelevant it's about big numbers Anyway, that's that's an aside. So you think he's casting the net wide for? So you thought it was going to be an Ireland A tour essentially?
2: No, um, I thought it was going to be basically like there's enough there's enough players there who played for
1: Ireland. Like I thought yeah, there'd but, be players who go on both tours. Like an Ireland A tour is in like they're not going to call it a cap full cap team, but it's it's ended up being like not this the the next tra- not the tranche of players just below the forty who went on tour. Yeah, and then maybe a couple of overlaps it's the next 40. I, so this is the equivalent. Yeah, of the yeah. Emer- yeah. So, emer- emerging Ireland is the, the team that was sent to play in international tournaments in Georgia and Romania in consecutive correct. summers in yeah. 13, 14. Was it longer ago than that? Maybe 10 years ago? was
2: 14, I think, Tbilisi Cup. Um, so yeah, like that's, yeah, pretty much. And I thought it was be building like, we're focusing on the World Cup. Ergo, we're going to use this tour, which is going to be like, and it's, it's not going to be like World Cup, but it is going to be a tour, like the New Zealand tour, except shorter. The players are going to go away, learn exactly what Ireland are going to be doing in terms of how Ireland play. And most of these players will be in the mix. We'll have a squad. We'll go into like um, November Six Nations warm ups with this squad composed of 50 players from these two groups. Hmm. That's what I thought it was going to be.
0: Whereas I'd say he's looking for guys that he can include in his November uh, international panel. And he's going, like, can I get five or six of these guys? Like, who, who shows the most pop? Who tours really well? Because I go back to something that we've, we've said a few times, but I think we say it because, well, I think it's true, about the World Cup is about being the best team for six weeks. And when you're on tour and when you're in a hotel... It's about uh, radiators and drains, and you just you just don't pick the drains. Mm. You you bring radiators, like you, you bring guys who who train great, who are great around the hotel. And we talked about like the impact that Omani has, you know. So he wants to see. I think he wants to see in a torn environment, because Blumfontein, by all accounts, is an absolute
2: yeah.
0: snooze fest. Yeah, like it's like. like you could hardly think of a worse place to go on tour. They're not going to Queenstown. They're not going to like the Gold Coast here. Like they're going to Blumfontein. Um, and like who, who reacts well to that? And I think, I think that's really important. I think you'd definitely be looking at that. And he's looking to see guys like who just brings pop. You know, and, like the two obvious guys for me, are the two monster guys. Uh, but there's three guys for me, like Jack Crowley, Tom Ahern, and Cormac is a Chukwu. Balakoon as well. Are really, but Balakoon's a known quantity. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, you want to see, like, Balacoon's played for Ireland. And yeah. You want to see, ba- like, you know, you're sort of hoping that Balacoon would play in the Six Nations last year. Whereas, like, the two Munster guys were completely and utterly Van Grand and a who was injured all last season. But you're there going, like, here's a guy who has played for the Ireland Sevens team. So, by that logic, he should have enough mobility and fitness to play at six. And yet he's capable of playing pro, pro rugby at number at five. Mm. So like, we don't, we don't have many guys like that. You know, England pick Courtney Laws on their team and we pick Peter Romani and like, there's a big difference in the physical profile and sure, like Peter Romani can have absolutely great tests and can play like, like huge games and he's, he's probably playing better now with whatever way his career has panned out. But, like he still has limitations and like, it's incredible, like this is trademark Moacast to be beating up in Peter Romani after and he's playing really well. So like, you know, look, I get it. But somebody like Izzachoku just gives you a very different profile. And and you mentioned it about Ryan Baird being named as a six on the tour. And then mm-hmm. he played second row on the tour. But he's named at six tomorrow. So yeah. again, you, you go with that idea of the profile of the six that is, is very, very different of just like a line out option, a powerful guy. An explosive guy and go and size, and second row size on the second side of the scrum. size, yeah, and just go, Jesus, like these are not. See
2: I thought Baird would go as a six, these are ones, not the example.
0: sixes that um, Ireland I thought, have, have fielded, like yeah. typically.
2: I thought Coom- now Coombs is injured. Like, he's been very unlucky at injuries, but like that's another player who I who I thought would have gone. So, it, but one of the things I said is this is a very low stakes tour. Uh, when, when squads are announced, typically you see uh, social media is mostly about why wasn't this guy from my uh, province picked, and in this one it was like, oh, everyone is actually going like weird tour, but like oh, it's gonna be gonna be exciting. Like, I'm, nobody wants to shit on young players, uh, and it's not just nobody wants to. Like, everyone is more excited. Like, I'm more excited about seeing uh, Crowley. Play for this team than I would be seeing him play for Munster.
0: The players, I bet you, are more excited about this. Like oh, so, yeah. rather than them holding bags or getting like thirty minutes for Munster or th- like or Leinster or whatever, they're going. I'm out with an Irish jersey, properly on tour yeah. with a load of other guys with the national coaches. Like I've gone from being having like a five percent chance, a smaller three percent chance, of going to the World Cup at Ireland to having a 25% chance. Yeah. Now, none of them, not, not, not all of them have a 25% chance, but, like, a few of them legitimately do. Like, a few of these guys will go to the World Cup. Frawley will go,
2: and Balakun will go. They're the two, I think,
0: like, yeah. which is two already. So you're only looking
2: for another one to make the three I originally mentioned. I like, think uh, Tom could end up going, or Joe McCarthy could end up going, like, very, like, that's very plausible.
0: Yeah, or even, like, Jesus, Sam Illock could end up going. Depending on the profile of how Kilcoyne and and yeah. Keane Healy yeah. get on, because I like that that's the front row is not a place that we've got to. Tom Stewart could go if if Ireland decide to bring three hookers. Tom Stewart could overtake Rob Herring,
2: and if he has a blinder of a season, which he started off very well,
0: yeah, yeah, and he's a class under twenty, super player, fucking.
1: Um, <clears throat> John Cooney screwed over again. That's what I'll say. Little, little Johnny
2: Cooney, it's a black mark. But Nathan Doak's another guy. Sorry, that was the other player who I thought was number three. Doak could end up going.
1: Doak's a super player. Very interesting. That's where I I I have no idea what they're going for. It's totally not the squad I expected to see picked. But I'm sort of I'm still ex- excited to actually see the games. And as like you said, I think the players will be excited. Um. Yeah, it's just it's just weird. It'll be. I think it'll be interesting to see in a kind of long term helicopter view whether we do this frequently, and whether we think there's it's more than just like okay, we're twelve months out from the World Cup, and we think can't see any case for it being done ever again
2: until the next World Cup.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, it's just I don't know the kind of just the fact that they revived the emerging Ireland. Uh, like team which you know hasn't existed for
2: well the second point is is something that you started on like there's there is no a competition you know the the lads have been talking about the lads the lads have been talking about it like martin and i has has discussed it but they've discussed the same thing as like oh maybe there'll be a a urc a women's urc it's like yeah maybe you know when are these things going to happen no, not in any immediate future, because the difficulty is like, how can you justify the logistics spend? Uh, like it's it's very easy for, uh, Munster A to play, Leinster A, Connacht A, Ulster A. It becomes like now we're going to fly them over to play, Clinetlier All that shit costs money. Well,
1: I mean that's one of the things I was kind of getting to. Is like, is there some element of them <laughs> being like, this is a good way for us to strengthen our bond with the South African unions or something like that and be like, we've got enough players to actually play some more pro rugby against some of your lads, even though we can't probably, you know, we can't have seven South African teams in the Hadn't thought of that. We, we're we willing to come down and give you a game outside of the Curry cup. And like, we know there won't be that many people there, but like it's more exposure for the Greek and the,
0: I, I was thinking of it more and I suppose that's where I was going with the pots with without fully thinking it through that the IRFU signed it off. That if you go we want to have an A League, like how many guys do you need to have in your squad and how many of these realistically are gonna play of the eighteen league matches? Whereas you go, Okay, we're gonna take our best under twenties, these guys are gonna be the pro rugby players, and we're gonna to have to find something for them to do. Also well, didn't they miss out? And I, they're gonna play I, for them? Because like the money in, in rugby is in the international game. It's always been in the international game. And when you're at the World Cup, you go, my goodness, like this, this is big. Like there's, there's a lot of interest here. Like, and it doesn't come as a surprise because the international game has always been where the interest is in rugby. Um, and, you know, for reasons that it's, the game is just too complicated, um that it's, you know, too violent. <laughs> For whatever reason, it's 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 been very difficult to to grow up beyond that. You can't at, play at enough a, games at an inter- Yeah, you just yeah, you can't play midweek matches. You know, because like it's. But at the international level, it's it's a hit. That's a good point. My
2: my point about not playing enough games. We're talking about an eighteen-game regular season in the league, a four-game regular season in the cup. Players want players by saying like especially older pairs are like, like you know, we need to be looked after properly. It's less games. Uh, if you're trying to, like if you have 19 or if you have 18 regular season games in the league, only nine of them are at home. That's for the fucking entire season. You know, it's basically, it's not far off one game a month. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're the only gate receipts you get to keep. You don't get the gate receipts when you go over to Clannetly or the Dragons or Glasgow. So you get nine gate incomes plus your two home games from... They're the only things you can count on. You might get knocked out of
0: both competitions. And uh, two, two of those matches are against South African teams that are miles away from home. Now, you saw last year for the Blues semifinal, there was a lot of South Africans came from London. Um, yeah, it's in the Northern Hemisphere. They walked over. <laughs> and... They were really nice,
2: most of the Yeah. And like, you know, like, so so maybe,
0: (laughs) so maybe like that'll be, maybe again, like, you know, that that will kind of, people will make that trip. But again, like cost of living, you know, they they probably won't. Um, So it's, and if if your games come, like if, if three of your games come at the same time and it's like January, February and the weather's really cold and then it's wet, like people won't show up. Yeah. If you've got three home matches in January, February, that could be real bad for you. Oh Jesus, yeah. Like you're talking Particularly about, if you don't have like huge season ticket sales.
2: Yeah. You know,
0: so that's like one of the reasons. So
2: and if we can just like sort of sidle over to what you were about to start with earlier, like the premiership. Like you've got wasps are going into administration. Uh I think as of today on recording today's the Thursday. Uh Shh. sorry, today's <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Worcester have had all sorts of threats thrown at them now by the tax guys, HMRC, um, and by PRL and by the RFU. Like, show us where this money is coming from or else you are getting thrown out of the league. Like, that is two teams which have been perennials
1: in, in, uh, in the premiership, which are falling apart. Worcester have been a kind of perennial nothing, though. I mean, just fodder in that league. I know Worcester's a, maybe a rugby heartland and all that but uh, Wasps yeah, they've been are a bad team. Wasps are uh, a European champion multiple times. Double, yeah. And uh, multiple
2: kind of, premiership winners. Yeah,
1: just a, a you know, a you know, classic London team. And for them to be about to hit skids, you know, following on from the whole Worcester debacle. And like even the fact that like London Welsh got promoted about a couple of years ago and just like got paced at eighty nil every week. Yeah. And like, there's a lot of signs obviously that that league doesn't work. And the
2: combined debt of the PRL teams is five hundred million pounds.
1: That's a lot of debt. <laughs> it's a <laughs> huge
2: amount of debt. All these clubs do not function as profit-making businesses. So, what happens when you lose a particular owner? Uh, so, the guy who, I can't remember his, his second name, Cecil something, the guy who bankrolled Worcester, he was. Uh, he Cecil was,
0: Duckworth, was this? Duckworth. Was he a Formula One guy as well?
2: Yeah, well, what he did was he invented a. Uh, he was an engineer who invented the condensing combi boiler. Like, so, a very efficient boiler, which is used in houses throughout. Jesus, I don't know, everywhere as far as I'm concerned, certainly Ireland, England, you know, Western Europe. So he invented a, a product and then, like, loved Ruby seemed to be a great old gent, um, basically allowed Worcester to function. Like, Worcester has, is an old club. Like, it, I think it was founded in, like, the 1880s, maybe the 1870s. Like, uh, so he basically allowed it to, to become a professional outfit. And then the two guys who, who own it now, it's been sold, I think, once from uh, Duxworth and then to these guys, maybe twice. These, these guys look to be uh, you know, spivs, basically. And it's a, it's a shame. Like, yeah, worst were never a championship contender, but they were, they were a big old club. You know, they're a good rugby club, heart of the community. And it seems like they're, uh, that they're in complete disarray. It's not just a particular one failure. It's like, these lads have run the the company into the ground. I had no business owning a a rugby club. Couldn't afford to do it. And uh, it's a shame to see a club go down like that.
1: Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. 100% it is. Uh, I didn't mean to pour too much Worcester sauce on their chips. Oh, God. (laughs) Um. But, you know, I was, I was listening to a, or uh, reading, rather, an interview
2: with um, the owner of Bristol, who is a billionaire, Lansdown. Um And he's saying there's not enough commercial revenue from the game. The PRL need to do something. It's like, Jesus, like, you're a billionaire, and, and your idea is the PRL
1: should do something. <laughs> yeah. Like, fucking what should they do? Well, he didn't become a billionaire by spending his own money, did he? No, no, no. But, like,
2: what are the ideas? You know, we need to make this a, like, this is a, he's saying that this is a great game played by good people uh, and there's a lot of interest in it. You I know, mean, we need to, we need to, you know, explore more commercial. And you're going know, like, what? Like, what do you need to do? Like, revenue, getting people in through the gate. Like, we tend, in Ireland, certainly, and I'm going to I tend to look as the premier and the PRL as a block, but there's a huge disparity in the members of that block. Like, Leicester have a huge gate get in shitloads of people every other weekend for their home games massive gate Worcester have a tiny gate and Worcester aren't even the smallest like Sale don't have anybody coming in through the doors Newcastle have even fewer so like Worcester are the third worst supported like Newcastle and Sale both have lower average attendances so like Newcastle are the next one to, to fall yeah, I can't see how they can survive like, nobody goes to their games. They're, they, they're, their gates are approximately... They're a little higher than Connick's average gate. And, like, the RFU aren't paying for all of Newcastle's players. They're paying for, like, maybe one or two.
1: I know somebody could pay for them.
2: Oh, we all know. <laughs> um, but, th- like, th- those other clubs... Like, I don't know how Sale can make any money. Their gate... Their average gate's about 5k...
0: Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. Like, I, uh, whereas Leicester's
2: average gate is
1: about eighteen k.
0: Those,
1: those are all going to go down as well, like this winter.
2: Oh, completely. Like, they they absolutely will. Like when you if you have if you're paying for two tickets, right? You're paying for two. Say you're paying for two stand tickets on the halfway line in those in those clubs. Let's say they're forty pounds each. That's eighty pounds. That £80 doesn't exist anymore. That £80 isn't even paying one-third of your additional energy bill. Like, that money is not there.
0: Yeah, and we we talked about this indirectly with the international, the, the price of going to international games. Even I was talking about, like, international tickets. You talk about the profile of people who goes to watch matches, and, like, they're all old. Yeah. You know, like, it's a great jamboree to go to if you're 40 and over. But people who are younger don't go. And you go, oh, we need to do something to attract younger people. And you go, make it cheaper. Like, Yeah. <laughs> do you want to know what the secret is? What, what should I have? More noise? Uh, music? It's like, make it cheaper. And like people don't want to hear that. But you go to the club final last year, and you see who goes from Taryn and you go, this is absolutely deadly, because it costs a tenner to get in. Yep. And they know the players. But, like, sure, it doesn't matter what they're going. They're going because their mates are going. Like, that's the reason people go to watch sports. It's not... Like th- people go for different reasons, but That is a reason. Though. That is a reason. Like, you know, you wanna go because there's atmosphere, because you're gonna be you're gonna be able to go a little bit nuts and again, I see like this this doesn't appeal cross-sectionally. Like you sort of wanna go, I wanna have really clean toilets, I wanna have families, and you go, Yeah, but like you really wanna have young lads who just want to have crack and, you know, we'll go for a whiz wherever. Like, they go on the terraces. And you don't want to encourage that behavior. But, like, that's, that's the core. And, I'm, like, I'm not saying, like, you need people pissing and everything. Like, I, like that, that's, that's a distraction. But, like, the people who bring the energy are young lads. But they're not going to go to expensive stuff. Then they're going to get priced out. And if you look at this as a steward of the game, 20 years isn't that long. But you need to have young lads coming in, in their teens and 20s, who are going to go with their families in their 30s and 40s and then go and spend, like, you know, kind of indulgent amounts in their 50s and 60s when they have it and they don't have any other obligations. And that's the model. And if you, like, if you cut it out, so then you go, you have to make it cheaper. Like, you have to put in terraces, you have to provide. And, like, again, my, my obsession with terraces, terraces are cheaper. Terraces just allow young lads to go with a bunch of other young lads. Like, you're not interfering with the families. You're not, you're not getting anybody's way. It's just like you put the cheap tickets over there. You allow the lads to have their crack and you charge them a tenner in. You will get people to go and watch your match. You put it on terrestrial TV and you pay your players accordingly. And you know what? You have a product. But you make it cheaper. Like, if you can't grow it by marketing it, you go the other way and you make it cheaper. And, like, there's, there's one or two ways to go. And... I think if, if, if you have a game that you play during the winter that's on terrestrial TV, people will watch it. And if they can go because they, they're familiar with it, you will get more revenue coming through the gates. But you have to know what your market is. And again, like Owen Toulon's down in Australia and he talks about the model, like he talks about how good the NRL and the AFL are because they pretty much have on the East Coast... A, just about a big enough population well they do have a big enough population mm. they've got like whatever 20 million people living in the east coast of australia they've enough domestic teams they've there's enough wealth in australia like there's enough games during the season it it pretty much works at the level that it is um that you can still connect with people that like all the blokes that are playing are guys that you'd see in the supermarket and you see like filling up petrol in their car. Yeah. But they're still professional athletes. Like seeing, it's... seeing the identity parades. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> you know, like, and, and that's it. So, <laughs> but, but, but then you go like to the, to the games that like, d- does it not make sense for the English teams to play, against all the other nations in Europe by the French like France is big enough that they they can work England like should be but they don't like they've been arguing with their union for all of professional all of professional rugby and you go the union is all the money like if if you don't play matches at the same time that, that the English team play matches you w- you should be able to get money from the English union like mm. they should be able to give you money you're not going to make any money in rugby. Like Leicester, maybe may turn a profit, but uh, like, to, you would get more people going to watch m- rugby in Wales and England if England were playing Welsh teams. If you know, like, if that was the way the league is gone, and like, I don't know. Like, it's, I I would say the last two decades have been an anomaly. Like even we were chatting about the price of energy and all that sort of stuff, we're old enough to remember when, like you had single glazed windows and you just put on more clothes when it was cold. Like, and and you, you save money and everything just got ridiculously cheap in the 90s. And you go like, this is dead. You can, you can fly everywhere. Mm. Um, it costs a fraction of the price that it used to. And you sort of go, but like, was there not just a massive deflationary effect with communism ending and huge markets opening up in Eastern Europe and in China in particular, in Asia in particular, just having a deflationary effect upon everything, both labor and goods and that things are actually getting back to normal. Like this is, this is life. Yeah. But, you know, you do just have to put on an extra jumper and all huddle together in the same room or like this is constantly we doing, live
2: turning the lights off everywhere <laughs> we live we
0: live in the north atlantic but like th- that local scale uh, i don't know that, that that's what it looks like to me and like that that's i think that's where rugby's like rugby league used to be on bbc on a saturday and you always used to watch it
2: oh, 100% that's exactly what i was going to say we knew like certainly all the weekend players most of the, of the Warrington players most of the witness players mm. and it's like because they were always on the box it was sport the BBC had on. But also um, the cost, like I completely agree with like the the ticket cost for going to Ireland City Africa, and that's a huge game. So you know they can charge like there is a there is a big market for it, but like the top top price ticket is 165 euro for one ticket. <whistles> which is so steep. Like that's if you're going on your own. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah.
2: So if you're, if you're not going on your own, right, just the cost of two tickets is, is more than €300. Euro. Like they're not aimed at, at you and me. Uh, well, maybe they're aimed at you. They're not aimed at me. <laughs> uh, like, I'd never pay that much to go to a rugby I would never pay that much. Well, not never, but, like, I wouldn't pay that much to
1: see Ireland South Africa. What if Ireland South Africa was 81 years old and he might never play again? <laughs> I'm, in I'm,
0: November. I'm, I'm going to the World Cup, but I'm going on packages because it's impossible to get tickets. Mm. But I'm going like to three weekends of it, and through the jigs and the reels I haven't a clue what I'm paying for my ticket because, like, I'm just glad yeah. to be going, and I'm paying it. But like, that's the World Cup; it's on every yeah. four years. It's and this one's in Paris, so I can actually go to it. And you went to the last one in Japan. <laughs> well, I, went, I went to Japan as well, but like that was. Uh, that was, a, that was an indulgence of a holiday, that you know? brilliant. Um, so, but like, to do that every November, I don't know. No, no. Well, I, I do know. I wouldn't go. I just like, why, why would you bother? Like, well, you can go and see the 20s in the club, like, and get your filler rugby. And this is the thing. Like, if you go and watch rugby matches, you don't care standing. You're used to standing. Yeah. You're actually like, and you don't have any elevation at most matches. Like, yeah. you're, you're standing on a touchline. You're now standing beside Astro rather than like just in the muck, but like, you're probably used to standing in the muck as well. I always was.
2: No, I completely agree with you. You know, the big issues are to get people to go to games is um, that there should be available terrace tickets should be like really affordable, and then in order to make the game bigger, to grow the game, the game should be on terrestrial TV neither of those things are going to support players' salaries where they are, but this strikes me as just, like, players Players have been overpaid through competition with France, which has an, a, a rugby economy. Uh, like, the biggest thing, whenever I look at the, the players uh, in England, you're going, like, you're, like, you can't, you can't, you don't earn the money you're being paid. You know, I know that. Like, you might work really hard, but, like, all your clubs are in debt not, not that many people are going to go and see you
0: yeah and if you had fewer it's teams it's nothing against the players if you had fewer teams and like streaming rights are, are the instant thing here because you know Todd Bowley was talking about the um, the all-star game the north versus south but like uh, Todd that was, Bowley that, that had almost like a false flag all
1: the other stuff he was talking about in that interview was exceptionally interesting
0: but well, Todd, like, Todd Bowley, like Todd Bowley's still in his 40s, right? And Jesus. like, while he might have been kind of wealthy starting off, like, he he was not born a billionaire. Like, the, this is a guy who mm. made his billions and, you know, rightly around you. But like, the, the opportunity, look, I mean, the land of opportunity. So he lives in America. He bought the Dodgers and he did a deal with the cable network. I think it was Time Warner, but he might have bought, he might have, like, he might have bought some of Time Warner as well. He might have, he ended up showing all the Dodgers games himself. And he was like, there's a market to do this. And I'm, I'm amazed that it's taken this long for football to get there. Maybe not the premiership because they have that collective agreement, but I'm amazed that like Real Madrid and Barcelona don't already do this. Um, and, and just broadcast their, their rights. And, You know, I'm kind of surprised that other teams don't do it and just say they wouldn't have a league to play against if they they wouldn't have a league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, I mean, the the
1: the conversation, if you're moving into it, is like the Premier League is already a super league. Is everyone else in Europe going to go? All right, Benfica, Sporting, uh, Bayern, you know, Dortmund, Schalke, or whoever. You know, the all all the other classic names go like it's about forty of us. We can do two divisions up and down and then we can still have a Champions League against it, or I don't know, whatever. There's like, is that not going to happen as, as well? But then, you know, would people go to those games flying all over Europe if that was your regular
0: season? See, this, and this is the thing, you know, see, you'd, you'd have to... Well, people, people like from Amsterdam could go to matches against Dortmund because it's just like a train journey. But the Germans wouldn't go. To those games, the Germans wouldn't the Germans go. Would throw yeah. tennis
1: balls in the pitch or not turn up or whatever. They wouldn't go.
0: Yeah, I know So we're, we're miles off. we anyway. off the topic, but like, I think I think if if like Ireland could definitely like Irish teams could definitely play English teams in a league. Like the the transport isn't an issue. Oh yeah, would should actually, we go to Wales and Scotland? Like it, like it would. Would you prefer to go to England?
2: Oh, like, I know, but saying there's like, we big, already there's, go to Wales and Scotland. There's
0: bigger airports. There's yeah. more flights. Like you could definitely fly in now they're on the same time as football matches are on so like there's you know like it's it's hard to fly in. like it's it's not cheap to fly into Manchester at the weekends because with City and United there's always matches on it's not cheap to fly into Liverpool because Liverpool and Everton well Liverpool maybe when Everton are playing at home it's cheap um, but like it's, it's it's a more attractive like it's easier to get to Um, and they'd be great matches like and and yeah. Like, they'd be really, really good. So, I kind of... Like, in in the Premiership, the Welsh and the Scottish teams, it doesn't make sense for them to go in. For English rugby, it actually does make sense for them to play against the Welsh and the Scots and the Irish. And the Italians. And the South Africans. Because there's so many South Africans living there. And rugby's a different game than football. Like, rugby just doesn't exist on the same scale. So, to me it makes sense that it goes that way. Now, the fact that it makes sense, does that mean the way it's, that's where it's going to go? Ugh, who knows? It hasn't done to date. It's very difficult to deal with. Yeah, very
2: difficult. Uh, but th- I, I was reading this report. It was a, it was a, you might've seen it And There was, uh, it was an academic paper written by um academics <laughs> about how people choose to spend, what matches they choose to watch in football. Uh, so these are viewers sitting at home. And it made the point towards the end, it was saying like rugby just used to organize, it didn't, it didn't really have leagues until like relatively late in its organization. It just used to organize big games between teams of roughly equivalent sizes. And that's how it drew, uh, that's how it drew spectators. are going, oh, now Bath are going to play against... Cardiff. Cardiff.
0: And everyone's going to go and watch yeah. it
2: Bath and Cardiff. And or Gloucester, like... Correct. And Leinster would draw more every time if they said, we're going to play, if they said in in season, say, just say in the rugby season, we're going to play a friendly against Saracens, two full teams, rather than playing in a league match against the Dragons. You could sell out Lansdowne Road for the first game. You probably will half fill the RDS for the second. I'm not sure where that's going, but it's like, big teams against big teams uh in in like britain and ireland sort of makes makes sense for all involved really and i my my problem is dealing with the intransigence of the premier league premier rugby league owners who are who have not proved themselves to be good bedfellows with each other they cheated each other in the past with salary cap scandals and they've tried to Take control of European rugby for their own ends, so it's a difficult one to come to terms with. You'd much rather have union-led teams,
0: yeah, because they're looking after the good of the game, and and maybe this is a very doe-eyed view of you know human nature, but like r- rugby needs rugby to be at the center of all its arguments rather than self, self-interest self or money because, like, that just doesn't work for the scale of the game that it's in. Like, yeah. maybe... I don't know if it works for anything, to be honest, but, like, it it pretty doesn't because even in America, which is the most capitalist society, they've got collective negotiations, collective bargaining at their pro sports teams because they understand... or they they fluked upon it, I'm not sure which that's what works best. Like that, that level of competition um, between teams, that any given Sunday idea is, is what attracts people to go and watch the matches.
1: We didn't ever really get into this. But Matthew Raynell calling that time wasting is a bloody disgrace. And I'll tell you why it's a bloody disgrace. It's just recording. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's not that it, it's not that Bernard Foley wasn't time wasting. He clearly was time wasting, right? My point all along has been if you don't enforce a rule, it's not really a rule or a law or whatever. And time wasting doesn't start when there's ninety seconds left on the clock, and you're like Oh, this is a bit unfair. Time wasting is time wasting. Time goes at the same fucking rate, as far as I understand about time, all the time. Relativity. Well, so Einstein. If you if you start dicking around and lying on the ground and wasting time in the second minute of the game, it's time wasting, right? And no one ever calls it. So if you don't call this rule, how can you expect people to take it seriously and then start introducing it? Because you get your knickers in a twist over something. And you imprint yourself because you're massive enormous fucking ego you imprint yourself and turn the tide of this absolutely epic rugby match so that all anyone talks about is your stupid fucking decision at the end of the game rather than an incredible fucking comeback by the aussies okay okay terrible 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 decision okay and i don't care for people being like actually matthew right was right if you look at him then people were telling up that's not the point you can find a penalty in every situation Every situation in rugby, the game's about playing the referees and all that, and the the laws are all, they're bend, don't break, whatever. Don't put yourself in a game like that, or Australia have come back from 31-10 down to win, to be leading, whatever, 37, 36, or whatever it was. Don't imprint yourself on a game of that stature with a ridiculous decision like that. That has never, never been made, never been called in any other rugby game I've ever seen, don't take your penalty quicker. I have to,
2: I have to agree about un, unenforced laws and then choosing to enforce them. That Laws become laws, laws become laws, and used, people are used to them because they're norms, societal norms, or in this case, sporting norms. If you don't apply laws and then choose to apply a law In a particular circumstance knowing that it exists but it is never otherwise applied you've changed yourself from being the policeman of the game to the judge of the game and you've changed yourself you make every policeman in society a judge and that's not their role if a policeman is a policeman just decides well there is a law against this i know it's never i know it's never uh, actually it's you know we never use it but it exists and i'm going to use it now you're going You've changed yourself from being a policeman and doing your job to being a judge. So I agree with you. Rory O'Connor made a great point in, on the other side of that. He's saying if this is the first instance of, of referees cracking down on time-wasting, I'm all for it. If it's this, not, though. Y- Correct. It's not going to be that. That is, in my opinion, one, you had a, you had a pet peeve thing on our headings or law changes. Like Ruby needs to be played faster.
0: That's where I was going to go. I was going to give the example of the Bulls playing against Leinster last season. The and referee that, and told to ref kept on them to hurry up six up, And you're going, blow the whistle and penalise them. And then do it again, and then do it again, until, until they actually hurry up. Because it's an absolute blight in the game. Like, the number of subs and how slow the game has gotten are two of the blights. And the subs slow it down that you're going... And, and again, like, this is another kind of one of the pet peeves but if you want to crack down on time wasting do it as you say all the way through the match and it's like yellow cards like it's it's like I was giving him a a, a warning he, he might go to a yellow card next and I was I, I always think no like if he gives if, if it's a professional foul in the second minute bin him bin him like it's, it's for it's not for repeated infringement it it's become for repeated infringement it's like you have to keep on doing stuff wrong When it was introduced, it was just like, if you're being cheeky, it's a yellow. And it was never ref To my mind, it was never ref properly. It should have been just, if guys are taking liberties, bin them. The referees have
1: been in the rugby championship, which has been brilliant. In every game, there's been, I'd say, probably four four yellow cards in every game, it feels like. It feels like every every second or 50% of plays are played under advantage. Oh God, yeah. And it's like, so you have all this sort of like false rugby where people are like, I can kind of dick around. It's not really going to, and then you can go back and I can kick into a corner and get a set piece and the game grinds into these like set piece things. And then it's like all people taking breaks. You're taking the flow out of the game. There's no continuity. There's no thinking on your feet. It's way more set plays and it is diminishing the game overall, even though this has been really like a brilliant tournament as well. But it's, those are things that, like, I, I, I just find it, I find it frustrating that the referees have such strict guidelines about certain things and the protocols that they to follow. But then on things like advantage, penalty advantage, because oh, the penalty advantage is so big because you can just boot the ball down the fucking field 50 yards. And if you make 20 yards, it'd be like, and it takes you 10 phases, it'd be like, it's actually not as good as just boot it down. And you just you've just played 40 seconds, 50 seconds, two minutes of of non existent rugby that didn't happen. So like yeah. you have this thing where you go, they need to. I don't need I don't know if they need to make something give more free kicks and free kicks be better
0: than they are at the moment. Or they Hello, need, drop goals from free kicks. Or they need to you do... You can't some. take a scrum from a free kick and no drop kicks. You so can't drop just kick. tap. Oh, you yeah. can drop kick. Yeah. So you just there's it. no drop
2: kicks in games anymore yeah yeah so,
0: yeah I don't know
1: but there needs to be something better than like okay there's been an infringement so we're gonna play until like these guys drop it and then they can just fucking boot the ball down like, I'm like just fucking give the penalty straight away to be honest this is like this, watching this rugby under advantage is tremendously frustrating and then the referees sometimes will just go on a whim and be like actually no advantage over yeah and you're like going like why the fuck was that advantage over? Because I'm like, it's there's no there's no protocol for deciding that at all. Yeah, it's completely yeah, yeah, whim yeah, On the, yeah, whim yeah. Of the referee, yeah. yeah, and it's 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 totally mental. It's that not that, le- it's not legislated because sometimes sometimes we'll, like someone will do something weird and unexpected on an advantage, and the referee will be like. Ugh. They made five yards advantage over, yeah. and sometimes we'll grind forty fucking meters up, and they will yeah. be like,
2: there be fifteen tackles," and it's like, "Are oh, you still playing under advantage? You made thirty meters." And you're so
1: gone. there needs to be, a, I think, there needs to be like a very strict, like it's three phases under advantage. That's it, and it's or maybe it's five. I don't know, but no more because this this playing rugby under advantage five seconds. What? Well, let's say, well, let's say if it's three phases, so you basically. You're out half would immediately know I need to either get out, I need to get in. We've got three phases to do like a a drill or like or an up and under or a crossfield kick or whatever. But we can't just go faffing around. I never
0: thought of it like that. that Anyway, it's not legislated. Yeah, yeah. It's one of these things that referees isn't legislated for. Referees at all. Whims are just completely random. Anyway, it's very whimsical. Whimsical is much better. It's
2: actually very tough for the ref as well. You know, if he had better. Guidance. No, yeah. I, I, I I agree with you on the Raynal thing, and but also as and I agree that it's not going to be the start of a great fight against time wasting.
1: Because if it was, you know, sorry to, to cut across you, but if it was, they would have done their usual, the protocols. We're going to cut down the time wasting. Instead, at the first game that South Africa really badly beat New Zealand, where they we're not going to review in too many games at once. They just every play every play they just lie down.
2: And in the second game, Luke Pierce hurried them
1: up and it's like it's a verbal hurrying. It's like,
2: come on, form the scrum. Come on, come on, water carriers off. Like there needs to be way more of that in Rugby, just hurrying people up, forming a scrum. Like scrums take so long to form. It's it's amazing. And now obviously, and just like constantly telling water carriers get off there's a lot of scores in rugby so there's a lot of dead balls that's when the water carriers come on I don't think there should be a water carrier break I initially thought like maybe there should be a timed break come on at 20 minutes there's no need for it like there's no, no there's no there's very few 3 all 6-3 games very very few you know and those games are slow anyway so you don't need yeah so even at even at extreme even at high pace like there's tries there's penalties that's when the water carriers come on water carriers shouldn't be on the pitch like there's there's a lot of players like this is a secondary thing. So I, I started something, but like coaches don't coaches don't always have the game's interests in their best heart. They're very like super knowledgeable about the game. Don't get me wrong; they know the game better than anyone. Um, but they're in it for their side to win. They're not in it for the good of the game. So as a result, and if if you tell players like. The game just needs to be played faster. Half the players say, I don't want to fucking play it faster. That doesn't suit me. That's called the forwards, you know? And the backs are going, yeah, we'd like to play it faster. But the third people involved in this are the spectators. Uh, And it's like, they all want the game to be played faster.
1: The moment when uh, the replacement, who isn't Michael Hooper, the number seven for for Aussie, burnt someone down the blind side and did a one-two inside pass and then got the ball back and scored in the corner. And you're going like, oh, fucking rugby, Jesus Christ. I love this sport. They've just come from behind. And then you have this thing and like, you just go on this thing where it's like, now they have to ratify the try with the fucking men in the fucking box upstairs. And you're just going like, and then even the, even the Kiwi try they scored at the end, having, you know, Reyna essentially giving them a fucking, you know, didn't give them a try, but you gave them an un- unbelievable platform to score a try with, you know, a good 50 yeah. seconds left. And they, even when they scored, they still had a fucking advantage. You know, of course they had an advantage. Because the only referee offside inside the fucking five-meter line, or inside the 22s. So, I, I mean... You're effing them blinding a lot here. This
2: is obviously a big-ticket item for you. It's just like... Maybe to put it at the start of the podcast.
1: The games have been great. They've been really competitive. It's really hard to predict who's going to win. And there's been these incredible moments of attacking, like, just Verve and classic. Brio Caleb and Clark. Elan. Exactly. Brio, Elan, Verve, everything. Caleb Clark just, like, plowing through defenses. Uh, even, like, Will Jordan's try against us, where, like, there was one break and Artie Savea spots it, and then he just Yew. goes, and he has, he looks in, he looks to see where the coverage is in the big screen, like an NFL wide yeah. receiver. And like, there's been so many moments these extremely talented lads break the system and they get into open field and they chuck it around and it's absolutely brilliant. It's like, that's what the game to me is about. It's not just that, but it's the most thrilling part of it and it always was and it always should be, if you ask me. Oh, agreed. And I think it's become a, it feels an awful lot like a bureaucratic process where the process is essentially to win penalties to gain territory to
0: win more penalties to eventually they run out of players. But in a way internationally the game's never been in better shape. And and the <laughs> yeah, in, I know. And, I know. And, and, in, and the international game is, is what drives rugby. So like it's still a great game.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: It is. The 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 it commitment just has the, to get out of its own way. The,
1: the commitment that everyone shows at international level is astounding. The head the, the protocols they've given people on on the headshots is making a huge effect I think on the way people have to tackle there' still are they still yeah. happen uh, and you still see dirty players like Darcy Swain do nasty stuff that was horrific um
2: but compared have you
1: watched an nRL game recently ju- they should just like I mean I just feel like the they would be better served to kind of go with their gut on forward passes, and I think, I think, I think they do on a video replays. It's like even, I didn't even see that full game. We've already on one error 24, so why not continue? Let's <laughs> get up to 140. <laughs> the South oh, African game against, uh, against in Buenos Aires, and there's two tries given as penalty tries and yellow cards for like these infringements that happen essentially when players are going to ground the ball. And you're not going like, one of them was an offside and the guy just reacted he tried to stop somebody who never got onside and he held him up and you're going like okay so now it's automatically two extra points because the, the conversion's already given and you're in the bin for 10 minutes it's like you just give the fucking try and play on like <laughs> I feel like that would have been a better outcome and it's certainly like the difference of it was like six inches off the ground I don't I know how do I make this up how do I get the answer how is that how do I decide when that's all right, and when it's not all right, I don't know. But I just, it just feels like a bureaucratic process a lot of the time. I think Pierce is a brilliant ref. Mm. I think he's so clear with the players, and he has a kind of little, little bossy kind of nature to him. But he's good natured and he's really good at communicating.
2: And he's fit. Yeah,
1: he's always yeah. up for play. And but just that that thing of Reynal just being like, I've, I'm kind of, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just fucking had enough of Bernard Foley dicking around here, and I'm gonna fucking. Like, it's your job, actually, to facilitate this situation, getting the fucking penalty taken. Realistically, you should have dealt with it better right now. You should have gone to him, listen, I really warned you. I wasn't taking the piss. If you don't kick the ball as soon as I blow the whistle, if you look back at your forwards, I know he'd already given the second warning. I know all that. He should have made Bernard Foley kick the ball out of play in the next five seconds, not give him the scrum. Anyway,
0: I'm pressing stop. The only thing, I just want to say one more thing. Bernard Foley should have been going on that emerging Ireland tour <laughs> and instead correct and instead because of a series of incredible injuries he's back played for Australia he's out of Ireland's world cup plans and that could be the quarterfinals for us yet again. <laughs> good night